If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 4, we are in the, uh, we're going to be starting in the 6th verse, and as we talked last week about the strife that is in the Christian realm, again James is talking to the church as he was going through that, we had talked about many times how uh, infighting between Christians can be uh, severe and deep. You know, James says those things shouldn't be, and we ended up last week with verse 6. He gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so today as we continue on, we're looking at this solution. You know, wherever there's a problem, God says, I can give the solution. And so the solution for this strife um, is in humility. We need to get our life right with God first. We need to set our pride aside and we need to get right with God. And it tells us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so today, as we talk, I want to talk about this wonderful gift that God offers us. And this is the gift of grace. Now, James, uh, a lot of through his uh, scriptures, he's been sort of getting after the church in Jerusalem. It was a big church. They had problems that were going on in the church. And as we look at the scriptures, we never really want to romanticize how wonderful the churches were back then because they struggled just like churches today struggle. Uh, the difference sometimes is that the preachers uh, back then were all pretty strong in the word and in the conviction and in preaching this word, where today we've sort of developed our own gods and we've developed our own churches in the way that we have <clears throat> chosen to go. But James was not one of those. James uh, actually, through this book, is, is sort of a sermon to his church addressing the different issues. And he wants us to share at this time, with all the correction that's been going on, to be doers of the word, not hearers only, to, to uh, you know, be right in our faith, not to be a hypocrite in these things. He says, I want to share this wonderful thing about God's grace. We cannot forget about God's grace. And he really tells us that the same Holy Spirit that is convicting us of our sin in our life and the compromise in our life is the same Holy Spirit that gives us the grace to serve God as we should. And so sometimes we can get down thinking, you know, I'm not what I should be. Uh, I wish I was something more. Why does, doesn't God just give up on me or throw the towel in? Well, it's because of grace. It's because of his grace. And as God is working in our life and as he's trying to conform us into his image, he's also giving us the grace to do the work that we should be doing for him. And this is really a wonderful statement, that he gives us more grace. And it stands in strong contrast to the verse right before where it says he resists the proud. And so we need to understand and we need to look at our life and say, am I standing in my pride? Am I standing in something that I shouldn't be? And is God allowing his grace to penetrate into my life? Now, as I was studying for this over the time, most of you know I like reading Spurgeon, and, and uh, I just really like his input. And so, I, in a way, I wish I could have just read his whole commentary on, on this today because it was great. But I did just pick out a, a few uh, paragraphs that he had uh, stated in a few sentences that I think are, are so appropriate. And Spurgeon says this. He says, note the contrast. Note it always. Observe how weak we are and how strong he is, speaking of Christ. How proud we are, but how superior he is. How erring we are, and how infallible, infallible he is. 
how changing we are and how unchangeable he is, how provoking we are and how forgiving he is. Observe how in us there is only ill and how in him there is only good. Yet art ill but draws his goodness forth and still he blesses. Oh, what a rich contrast. And then he continues on a little later. It says, sin seeks to enter, but grace shuts the door. Sin tries to get the mastery, but grace, which is stronger than sin, resists and will not permit it. Sin gets us down at times and puts its foot on our neck. Grace comes to us for the rescue. Sin comes up like Noah's flood, but grace rides over the tops of the mountains like the ark. So Spurgeon has a lot to say, and I think that that's really interesting when we look at that, when we get down and we look at our life, and we say, why God? Why why me? Why are these things? Why these struggles? Why these problems in my life? What is going on? And we forget to look at what God is doing through those situations. We have trained ourselves and conditioned ourselves in this world to, to look at all the bad that is going on, and there is a lot of bad that is going on in this world. We, we don't have blinders to that. But we also need to look and see what God is doing, and what God is doing in the believer's life, and what God is doing in your life. And for every struggle that you come up with, or that I come up with, or, or that we face, every valley that we are in, God says, I am there, and he says that his grace is there, and it is his grace that covers that multitude of sins, and so he calls us to himself. He says, do you uh, suffer from spiritual poverty? It is your own fault, for he giveth more grace. If you have not got it, it's not because it is not to be had, but because you have not gone for it. As believers, we need to look at this tremendous gift that God has given us, this grace that he has offered us. And we need to seek that for ourselves in our life. And James goes on to sort of explain how that happens, because James reminds us that grace only comes to the humble. And so you need to ask yourself, am I a humble person? And it's not like the, I think Mac Davis used to sing a song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't even look in the mirror, I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me, I must be a heck of a man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. That sometimes is the pride that we have. We sing that song of, of, I'm really pretty good. I'm not as bad as this person or that person. But what did Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I am. Are you a humble person? Are you receiving God's grace? Because James tells us that it only comes to the humble because grace and pride are eternal enemies. If you have pride in your life, grace is battling that all the time. And if you are receiving God's grace in your life, sometimes our pride wells up. You know, Julie's mom takes care of a wonderful uh, gal that has some developmental disabilities named Tanya. But to get her to say she's sorry for something is almost impossible. And I used to think about that, uh, and I've seen that in, in a couple of different uh, people that we've taken care of over the years, where sometimes they just can't say that they're sorry. They refuse to say that they're sorry. And listen, it's not just amongst the development of disabled. Think of the people maybe you know in, in this world that just cannot admit they're wrong. They cannot say that they are sorry. They cannot humble 
themselves, and so they stand on that, that mountain of pride, and they're willing to die on that. But God says, the way that you receive grace is to humble yourself, to recognize what we are in the light of who he is. He says, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace will deal with me not on anything that I have done, but grace deals with me on everything that Christ has done. There's not things I can do that I say, well, you know, now I'm a humble person, and so God's grace has to flood me. That, that's not what we're talking about. God exercises his grace based upon on who he is. And he gives grace to the humble. Our humility doesn't earn the grace of God. Humility puts us in a position to receive the grace of God. So there's nothing that we can do to earn those favors of God. That's why our salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, because then we can brag about it. We can boast about it and say, I earn it. There are people that really believe that because they do good things in this world that God has to accept them into heaven. And God says it's not by your works. It says the best of our works are as filthy rags compared to God's righteousness. And so we come to him broken. We come to him on our knees. We come to him humbly seeking him. And he says he bestows his grace upon us. Freely he is given, freely we receive this grace of God. And he says, therefore, submit to God. So in light of this grace, this wonderful gift that God has offered us and that God has given us as his believers, he tells us that we need to submit to God. So if, if, when we're talking earlier, we're just talking about receiving God's grace. There's, there's things that go along with that, changes that God is doing in our life. So as we have a broken spirit and a, and a humble spirit, we're in that position to receive that grace. And when we receive that grace, there's nothing else that we can do but then to submit to God. Are you submitting to God in your life? You know, we hear in this world today much about the rights of man. You know, we have the, the abortion issue going on and, and uh, those that are claiming, you know, this is my right to choose, my right to do this, and my right to do that. You know, we have the, the gun battles that are going on of, of, of handguns and other weapons and stuff. Well, this is my right and that's my right. And, and we talk about all these rights that, that people believe. I have the right to, to marry same sex if I want to. I have a right to do. And we hear all these things in the world today. But one thing that we forget is the rights of God. The rights of God who created all of this, who created the universe. They are first. They are the highest. They are the surest. They are the strongest of all rights. And all other rights that we have are based upon the rights of God. We have unalienable rights based upon what God has done for us. And those are the rights we need to be concerned about. He has the, the ultimate base rights in all the universe, in all creation. And those lie at the base of all other rights that are had. And as a Christian, do you see that first? The right of Christ, the right of God. Or do you stand in there? So he tells us, James does, therefore submit to God. And we should submit to God for several reasons. One is because he created us. As we sit here today, you have a friend next to you. He created that person for you. You have family in your life. He created each one of those. He created you. He created me. 
as we have friendships and relationships in this world, we look and we say, that's a gift of God. God created that person. And so one of the reasons we submit to God is because he created us. He is our maker. He is the one that designed us. He is the one who has given us everything that we have. We should submit to God because his rule, his, his word is good for us. There is nothing in God's word that will not benefit us if we follow it. You understand that as you read through the word of God? The world throws all sorts of things at us, but a lot of those create in us dangers. We talked about addictions. A lot of those things create damage in our life, damage in our families, damage in our societies. We should submit to God because his word, his rule, his, his guidance for us is perfect and pure, and it's the best thing for us. We submit to God because really resisting him is, is futile. I mean, in the ultimate end, it says every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's going to be the victor at the end. So to really resist him through this life is futile. Because if we don't submit to him now, there is a day when we will submit to him. When creation is over and our time in eternity begins. We need to submit to him because it's necessary for salvation. You can't come to God on your own terms. You can't say, well, you know, when I get things right or if, if, if God wants me or this is how I'm going to come and, and become a Christian, we don't come on our own merits or on our own ways. We need to submit to God. We need to understand that, that he has given us the pattern for salvation. We admit that we are sinners. We admit that we're broken. We admit it, that we are, are wretched. And that without him, we are lost. And we're going to spend all eternity in hell. We come to him in submission and in repentance. And in yielding our life to him because it's necessary for salvation. And probably one of the things you might notice most on this earth is we submit to God to have peace. That peace that surpasses all understanding doesn't always mean the things in this world are, are going to be smooth for us. We still may face those things, but I'm talking about an inner peace. If you're not submitted to God in your spirit, you are going to have turmoil in your life. We see the world that is full of anxiety, full of depression, full of, of, of all these inner turmoils that bubble up in their life. I believe most of those can be tracked back to, have you submitted your life? To Christ. Spurgeon went on to say this I desire to whisper one little truth in your ear, and I pray that it may startle you. You are submitting even now. You may say, Not I, I am the Lord of myself. I know you think so, but all the while you are submitting to the devil. The verse before us hints to this Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you do not submit to God, you will never resist the devil, and you will remain constantly under his power. Which shall be your master, God or the devil? For one of these must. No man is without a master. See, sometimes those in the world, they want to call themselves agnostics or atheists. I don't believe in God. I'm not submitting to this fairy tale. If you're not submitting to God, you're submitting to Satan. You are under the, the authority of one or the other. You are either of this world or you are of his kingdom. Those are the dividing lines. When God looks down, he doesn't see race. 
He doesn't see economic status. He doesn't see the things that men look at. He says either you're a child of God or you're not a child of God. Either you are lost or you are found. You are saved or you are condemned. You're a believer or you're a non-believer. And he says that if you're not of him, you're of the devil. And so when we look at these things, we see this. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. So to, to solve this problem in our life of, of carnality, which is just living like the world, and the strife it causes, he tells us that we also must resist the devil. Now listen, I, I, I know people and they talk about, you know what, I'll do battle with the devil, I'll go after the devil. I mean, Christians talk this way. The Bible doesn't tell us to go out and pick a fight with Satan. What the Bible tells us is to resist the devil. You know, I used to have a picture in my mind uh, before I was a Christian, and actually why God was working in my heart, and I always had this, this picture of, of God over here, and I'm facing God. And I'm trying to argue with God over things, and Satan's behind me, and he's, he's saying, you can do it, you can, you can you know, argue and fight and justify and all these things with God. But when I got saved, something different happened. The picture turned around, and, and Jesus was there. But Jesus wasn't behind me, prodding me on, saying, you can fight him, you can take him. Jesus stood in front of me, and he was my defender, he was my shield. And he took on that. That is resisting. Resisting means standing firm in what you know is true. You don't need to chase down the lines. You don't need to chase the rabbit trails. You stand firm in the truth of God. That's what it means to resist the devil. To push back as hard as it's getting pushed upon you. When Satan tempts you, you answer him with scripture. We resist the devil. To solve the problem of this, we resist the devil. Are you resisting the devil or are you giving in to the devil in his temptations? To stand against the devil's deceptions. Basing everything that you hear against the truth of God's word. You know, even well-intended Christians sometimes get, get swept up in different things. And you need to weigh that against God's word. What does God's word say in context and as a whole? Are you swept up by the deceptions of Satan? Are you, are you swept up by his, his things to intimidate you or to demean you? You're trying to do the work of God. You, you, you're, you're walking through this life uh, trying to let Christ have control of your life and making the changes that you believe God has. And Satan's always in that ear, isn't he? Just saying, you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. You think God can use you? And we resist that. And we just say, yes, I'm a child of the king. I've been adopted into the family of God. And if God is with me, who can be against me? And we resist the devil. And what is the promise? When we resist, it says he will flee from us. See, Satan can be set running by the resistance of any believer. Not because we're great. Not because we've memorized certain things. Not because of what we've done, but because we can come in the authority of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And when we have that authority, it says Satan cannot stand against that. Hermas wrote this, the devil can wrestle against the Christian, but he cannot pin him. That's a perfect description of this life. Satan is continually wrestling with the believer. He's, he's, he's continually trying to get you into that submission hold. 
He's trying to distract you and, and get you down. But if you are a child of God, Satan can wrestle with you, but he can never pin you. He's never going to get that final count of victory because of God's grace. The gift that he has given the believer. He tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's, that's not just a, a challenge in our life, but it's also a promise that James is talking about. This call, this call to draw near to God is an invitation as, as well as a promise. Tells us, are you lacking something? Are, are you looking for something? Are you, are you seeking after something? He says, draw near to me. And the way I like to look at this is, is usually if I take one step towards God, he comes all the way towards me. Because again, it's not by my efforts. But he knows in my heart, if I'm searching for the truth and I'm looking for him, he's going to be there. Draw near to God, it says, and he will draw near to you. Do you allow God to draw near to you or do you try to keep him also at an arm's length? See, when a soul sets out and seeks after God, as we do our devotions, as we read through the scripture, as we, as we are in our prayer life, as we seek after God, God has given us the promise that I am there. I will answer. You will hear. So what does it mean to draw near to God? It means to draw near to him in worship. We know what worship is, and sometimes the world gives a different thing of worship, but worshiping is just really just giving him our all for who he is. I'm praising him. I don't care what somebody else thinks that's next to me. I'm worshiping him because he is the one true God. He is the high and mighty king. He is the creator of all. He is the savior of my soul, and so I worship him. I praise him for the things that he does in my life. I even praise him for the trials I go through in my life because he is my God and he is my creator and he is with me. And whatever it is that I'm going through, he is with me and I praise God for who he is and for what he does. Amen. And I also worship him by, by prayer. I seek after him and draw near to him by prayer. Listen, you got any friendships, you know what this means. You can't have a friendship if you're not talking, right? And so we have people that are, Ethel's a snowbird, so she's got friends down in Texas, and you talk to them through the year, don't you? She doesn't just go and call them up and talk with them. We all have those friends that just like to talk at times, but we talk and we listen. We draw near to God by talking to him, by, by bearing our heart and our soul out to him, and then also listening to what he has to say to us. What is it that you have, God? That's what it means to draw near to him. We draw near to God by asking him for his counsel in our life, the direction that we need to go, the things that we should do. Lord, what is it? I, I don't understand where I should be or what I should be doing. Or Guide my steps. The Bible tells us that the steps of a righteous man is guided by the Lord. And so we draw near to him by seeking his counsel in our life. And finally, by having communion with him. And that communion with him is, is like becoming one with God. It's just sort of abiding in him and him and us. And, and the, the Gospels talk about that. Just abiding in the vine as the vine abides in us and we are walking close to him. And, and you know what I mean if you're a believer and you've ever walked that close to Christ. You hear his voice. We sing, you know, I walk through the garden. He walks with me and he talks with me. That is the communion with God. It's just such a close friendship that you really can't even separate it out. And so we draw close to him. 
And this text really differentiates a little bit from the Old Testament or the Old Covenant to the New Testament or the New Covenant. In the Old Testament, God told Moses to what? Stay back from the burning bush. Take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. But now in the New Testament, he says what? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It shows us something about what Christ wants for us, what God wants us for it. And so if we talk about a God that never changes, what is the difference between this, this old where he told Moses, don't come any closer, and in the new where he's saying, draw near to me. The ground between God and man has been bridged by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has paved that way to be close to God on that basis of what Christ did at Calvary. It also shows what God wants to do for the sinner. God wants to have that relationship with us. He doesn't say, draw near to me and he will save you. It doesn't say, draw near to me and, and I will forgive you, though both of those statements are true. What he really wants is to be near us. He wants to have that fellowship with us. See, we, we need to stop thinking about God as some entity that is way, way up in heaven, far above us. God is with us. And he desires to be with us. He wants to be near us. He wants to have a close relationship with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. That's why he created man. And finally, he wants to dwell in you. And that's why Jesus said, I will not leave you as an orphan, but I will give you the Holy Spirit that will come to you. That is God's desire for us. Is that your desire for him? And we see the results of drawing near to God. When we draw near to God, it helps us resist the devil. And we have that promise that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. But that only happens when we draw near to God. As we draw near to God, we become holy as he is holy, pure as he is holy. And though we're never to that point of, of, of where we need to be in this world, but we do get there. There's more of Christ in us the closer that we get to him. The closer that we get to him, the more that we walk in his ways, the more the world sees Christ in us. Drawing near to God helps us to be sorrowful over the, the sin in our life. And we need to be sorrowful over that sin in our life. You ever notice that? Like, like when you got things going on in your life and you begin to read the word of God, that it just starts to convict you and it, and it is, oh man, and I'm failing, and I'm this. And we start to sorrow over that. Some people don't like to, to deal with, with the pain and the agony of the sin in their life, and so they stay away from God and the things of God so they can live the life that they desire. God says drawing near to him helps us with that pain of the sin that we know offends God. Drawing near to God helps us to speak well of others. The world speaks evil of most everybody and everything. Again, you just turn on and you watch this and this one's bashing, this one, this one's bashing. And they're, they're always talking bad. Do you notice when you really even watch the life of Jesus? I mean, he would call out the sin, but he was an encourager. Drawing near to God helps us to encourage other people and to speak well of them. And it also helps us think of eternal things. 
the closer we get to God, the more we might think of those things that are not just of this world, but the things that are yet to come. We need to get our eyes many times off the things of this world and onto the things that God has for us. James goes on, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. So as we draw near to God, we know that we are going to be convicted of our sin. And it says we are going to lament, mourn, and weep. We're going to grieve and weep as appropriate, really, for sin in our life. The way that the Bible tells us. And the conviction. And we are compelled to find that cleansing at the cross. We're carrying that weight around on our shoulders, that, that burden of sin. And there's something in us as believers that, that wants to shed that backpack and get rid of that, that, that weight in our life. And so James mentions this as lament, lamenting and, and mourning and, and grieving over these things, which are, are really Hebrew prophets' language about the anguish of repentance. When you read about repentance in the Bible, it, it was an anguishing thing. People cried over their sin. They, 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 they were laid low over their sin. They would fall prostrate on the ground and, and, and seek God's forgiveness for their sin. In the world today where we have so much glibness about the sin that is in our life and the sin that is in the world. So he tells us, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Again, in the world today, we are, are taught to be self-motivators and self-edifiers and self-lifters. We've made it all about ourselves. But as we come before a holy God, we can't help but humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before him. Humble ourselves. And it says he will lift us up. Why does he do that? Because God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. That wonderful gift of grace. The undeserved favor of God always lifts his people up. Do you need to be lifted up today? Are you feeling spiritually down sometimes? Maybe through this week or, or maybe you're sitting here today and really struggling with something. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. His grace will flood over you and lift you up. When we resist the devil and we humble ourselves before God and we walk in his ways, his grace just covers us and lifts us and removes that weight of burden in our life. Do you want that burden lifted? You can find it only through Christ Jesus. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your words that are true, your words that are like a sword that, that cut to the very heart of the issue. Lord, many times in our life we struggle with pride and we struggle with our self-righteousness. We don't even recognize it for that. We have been deceived and are deceiving ourselves many times. But Lord, as we look to you, Lord, it is you that can show us and reveal what is needed. It is you by your grace that fills us, that undeserved favor in our life that can lift us up. It's by your mercy that we find 
that forgiveness in our life. And so, Lord, help us to repent of those things in our life that don't belong there. Help us to turn and walk towards you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our salvation. And, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the grace that is given. And, Lord, may we share that grace with those around us also. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.